From the advertising media capital of the world, New Milford, Connecticut, wherever that is. This is Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, a bi-weekly-ish podcast about all things automotive marketing. Now, here's your host, Matt Wilson. Hi, ah, yes. Hello. Welcome to Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. Like the guy said, a bi-weekly-ish podcast all about automotive marketing. Mostly, usually about that. We are live right now, actually. This is Mostly Automotive Marketing Live. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, Daily Motion, Twitch, whatever the heck that is. I don't really know. But if you aren't hearing this live, then you know, you're listening as its regular podcast format. You can always find the show on Apple, Google, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. And as you guessed, the podcast is about automotive marketing. And I'm Matt Wilson, which is the reason that I named it that. Otherwise, it wouldn't make uh, a whole lot of sense. So uh, today, I want to talk to you about how you talk to your clients. Or maybe even how you talk to anybody, really. Prospects, friends, coworkers, bosses, the mailman, anybody you talk to. I want to talk about how you uh, talk to them. And the newsflash is, it ain't always about you. I used to think it was always about me. It'd be cool if it was always about me, but it's not. It's about them. And in all those situations, uh, you got to think about the other person, whether it's the customer, the supervisor. It's about them, not you. And uh, my friend, Jim McCarthy, turned me onto this logical way of thinking because he's so smart. And he created the, uh, the hashtag, be them centric. And he's joining me to talk about it right now. Or he was joining me to talk about it right now. I don't mean, he's not there anymore, but he's, <laughs> uh, he's a former radio guy, right? We used to work together. He used to work in the automotive industry. So he knows Did a lot about that. Crap out of you just now. <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> For those of you listening, uh, well, if you're watching, he disappeared. Um, but he yeah. currently owns Big Dot Lighting, right? And he's the CEO of Jim McCarthy Voiceovers. His name is Jim McCarthy. How you doing, Thank buddy? You. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. You and I always have long hour and 10 minute provocative discussions on the phone. You know, maybe every week, maybe every other week, right? Yeah. We talk like a couple of, couple of high schoolers catching up. On what's going like the two on. Two guys from the Muppet Show up in the balcony. Yeah, that's, right. That's what our conversations are like. Exactly like that. And uh, we were talking the other day. And well, actually, I see this all over. I see this all over your uh, social media. You always use the hashtag "Be Them Centric." And you know, I try and pay attention to your posts and listen to your podcasts and read what you know, pick up what you're putting out there. But what exactly is hashtag Be Them Centric? And how'd you come up with it? And why? And elaborate. It was born out of a frustration of seeing posts on Facebook from uh, an assortment of salespeople who uh, were frustrated at no response to follow-up uh, emails, phone calls, um, you know, a lot of posturing that they would say, well, I'm, all I'm asking for is, you know, a five minutes of their time or, and no one's taking me up on it, that kind of thing. And I would say, well, you know, you gotta be, that just kind of came out of my mouth, be mm -hmm. them. You gotta be them centric. You have to understand where they are. And, you know, and in the world of marketing, 
an advertising, Matt, as you well know, and that you and I have kind of come up with, uh, we would write commercials and posture our clients um, to the audience of the radio station. You know, if you really wanted an effective commercial, you couldn't, you could, and people did come out with a one-sided, uh, one-way message that was all about the client. You know, let us tell you about all the different things that we can do and beat our chest and put a laundry list together. Right. It wasn't until they spoke to the heart of the client and, you know, identified a problem that they could solve that was in the best interest of the client, uh, you know, their client, not them, not the advertiser, uh, that when th that message really started to resonate. So that is the key to a lot of things yeah. that I've found, you know, uh, voiceover people, especially they, they want to know how to prospect. And I tell this story and actually did a video on this last week, just using this technique. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think voiceover people need to learn how to produce audio, um, for so at least for the sole purpose of producing spec spots. So your best prospecting, um, field is your radio station, your local radio station. If you're a creative voiceover talent and you're looking for work, for example, um, listen for those spots that run in the spot sets that are voiced by the same person, or maybe even the, you know, the manager or the owner of the company and hit them up, do yeah. a spec spot, write it up, maybe 15, 20 seconds of copy, uh, throw your voice behind it and throw some music behind it and send it out to them with the subject line, Hey, I heard your ad on the radio. Yeah. So I can't imagine any better subject line that would get open or get an email open than that. So that in and of itself is being them centric. You know, I have something on offer for you. I've already, you know, piqued your interest. It gets better in the body of the email because I, not only did I hear your ad, I would like to offer my services to you as a market and industry exclusive voice for, to brand your business. Oh, and by the way, I put it, I've actually given you a spec, you know? Yeah. I've done trust yeah. a certain pain or a problem. Here's the solution of sorts. So instead of hi, Matt, I work at a agency and we do SEM and SEO and conquest email. And we, uh, you know, have won multiple awards for our work in, you know, the creative field. When can I have 20 minutes of your time to chat about it? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Cause what's in it no. for the reader? What's in it? Cause I prospect for my job, right? I, I mean, I've been prospected to a lot in my previous jobs and I prospect a lot now. And I feel like, uh, I've seen, I've heard or seen it all in terms of, you know, prospect pitches, calls, that kind of thing. And now being on the other side of it, you kind of start to realize, like if you read a, a, a pitch or something or a, an email, you're like, okay, like the amount of people who don't respond uh, because you're not really asking a question or you're, or you're not giving them a compelling reason to, to, to get back to you, to talk to you. That's not really, that's, a, that's not really a question. Is, that was just, it's just a statement. When, yeah, when you're putting it out there, it's uh, if it's very you centric. See, here's the thing: it's not about you until it is, if that makes sense. Um, if you're putting even with content on social media, you know whether it's emails or whatever, and I, this this whole idea of you and I coming on and talking about this was born out of one of your episodes, 
where, where you reached out to a certain client and they kind of gave you a comeuppance and you talked about it and were very transparent about it and, you know, um, described yeah. the, uh, the process of feelings that you went through about it. And that was a great episode, but you know, I'm like, well, dude, you, you came at him. It was, it was, it wasn't a bad way to come at him, but there's almost like a sales karma that happens yeah. that if you're not willing to entertain a few phone calls from some, from some salespeople yeah. um, at all, and you're a position in a position of a decision-making uh, capability. Yeah. That could come back and around and bite you. You know, um, I experienced that in the car business when I sold cars. Um, and, you know, to this day, I'll take a sales call every now and then because I know what the other guy on the other other end of the line is just trying to make a living. Yeah. You know, and at least he can go back to his manager or boss and say, well, you know, I've connected with some people and had some conversations. Yeah. So at least I've helped in that effort. Will I convert and buy whatever it is that they're selling? Probably not. It depends on their pitch. Yeah. I know. I feel like that too. There's definite car, like I had the same thing. And I was a marketing director for a large group obviously more people are jockeying for your time and your business. So, you know, phone calls, emails, uh, unscheduled drop-ins. I could have spent all day responding to those people, but now I wish I responded to more or fielded more because I feel like the karma of me either never calling anybody back, which I honestly just did not do. I didn't have time. I didn't call anybody back or not responding to emails uh, is coming. I feel like it's coming back to me. I will tell you, I did respond to people who like if there was something in their first line that was funny or eye catching or made me chuckle, I would write back and I would at least say, Hey man, I really liked your email. I thought this part was really clever or really creative. And uh, you know, that's a good way to go about it. You know, thanks for reaching out and get back. Well, to think about guy. that for a second. You know, you just addressed exactly what we're talking about. There was something in there for you. Yeah. You know, not just got, it got your attention. Sure but it got your attention for a reason because it was different. Uh, it was nonlinear and it basically just got your attention. Yeah. And there was some, there was some sort of an entertainment factor in it for you. Mm-hmm. And that's why you were good enough to respond and at least acknowledge, Hey, good job. Um, I mean, how many sales calls did you take? I mean, I take them every now and then where I end up coaching the person on the other line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've done I'm that. Like, Dude, stop, stop reading the script. Okay you know, understand the points and the different um, bullet points and internalize them and, you know, spew them out in your own words. Yeah. You know, feel them. Uh, it's, it's like voiceover, you know? Yeah. And, and, and voiceover and selling cars is very similar uh, in the way that you get into the car business by, they put you in front of what? A bunch of scripts, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I remember my first, uh, BDC position was uh, looking, you know, had all the scripts on the walls in front of you, you know, ways to overcome objections and things of that nature. And it wasn't until that you, you internalize those ways to naturally have them come off. But I mean, one of the best ways to make a cold call to somebody was just get the notion of a cold call out of the way and say, look, yeah, this is a cold call. I don't like making them. You're probably not liking receiving them. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you hung up on me right now. You gave me that advice and I've done that. Have you? I have. I've used it before. Has it worked? Not really. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but I do the same thing with emails sometimes or on LinkedIn. I'll be like, listen, totally inappropriate to reach out, you know, to connect and reach out to you on LinkedIn. I think the old phrase is like, you don't, you don't ask somebody to marry you on the first date. 
Hi, Janet. Thanks for connecting with me. Do you want to spend $5,000 tomorrow on this product that my agency sells? I mean, that's not going to happen. Uh, these things take, you know, you got to kind of finesse the relationship a little bit in the beginning. Um, LinkedIn people are the worst at that. Yeah. And you make a connection. They hit, hey, I just want to know if you have five or 10 minutes. I'd love to go over our product lineup that I think would be great for your business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which business? And tell me how it might be great for me. Be specific. Yeah. You know, say, hey, I see that you're doing this. I see that you're advertising this, uh, you know, thing in Davidson County because of the Nashville tax hike. Uh, and you could actually convert people over to LED lighting, which is one of my businesses, uh, and actually offset the uh, tax hike that they just, you know, we could actually em employ this one module that might get you an extra five to 10,000 eyes on this. And it only costs you about, you know, $299. Is that something you'd be willing to talk about? Well, crap. Now you got my attention. Right. You're specific. Yeah. You addressed a potential pain that I have. I would like to get this message out in front of more eyes. You're telling me it's not all that much money, and you're promising that I can get five to 10,000 more pairs of eyes on it. Well, crap. Yeah, I will take you up on that. Yeah. Is Everything it, about that message would be about me. Is there, any, is there any danger in assuming that you know what your prospect wants to hear, like I was reading an article the other day about, you know, obviously we're in crazy times and the article, I think it might've been an ad age or automotive news or one of those uh, trade ma magazines used to be magazines, trade publications. And it was about like, like, okay, companies stop telling me what you think I want to hear. Like, stop telling me you're here for me. It, this is a tough time. You need, you know, somebody for A, B and C and tell me what, and just tell me what, you know, what you're trying to, trying to tell me. So, and that's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about now, right? That's, that's a little different than, because you don't want to assume like, all right, so I deal with auto dealers and it's a tough, it's a tough road right now, depending on what your OEM is, uh, you know, what your inventory situation is, but <clears throat> I don't like to approach somebody and be like, oh man, you know, I'm guessing this is your problem and here's how we can help it. Like, should you do some research first and see if you can figure out what, yeah. you know, what you're trying to target or, or what they might want to hear instead of just taking a, a shot in the dark? Yeah. You know, I think to not do the research on a prospect in this day and age is just utter laziness. Uh, there's so much information out there that you could uncover, uh, on, you know, especially the person you're trying to appeal to. It's not just the business. Uh, you can find that person on probably any one or more social media platforms and see what they're talking about, see what their interest is. I'll never forget a story that Gary Vaynerchuk talks about early in his days in building his wine business. Um, he sent, uh, it was a loser deal. He had to drive this, you know, case of wine to a place up in, uh, uh, you know, an hour away or whatever. It was during the winter. So it was snowing and, um, but he knew that that would earn points. It built equity in the mind of his customer that he was willing to do that. And he was like, dude, we're making maybe a buck a bottle or something like that. So right. $12 profit for a case of, of wine. He says, I went above and beyond because I went into the guy's house and dropped it off. I saw that he was like, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably butchering the story. This is paraphrasing, um, that he was a fan of a, a certain sports team. And mm -hmm. I, you know, he's a, Vaynerchuk's a huge sports fan and he, he looks at memorabilia. He saw something on eBay that wasn't very expensive. That was one of a kind signed kind of thing, uh, went and bought it and, uh, sent it to the guy he said, Hey, you know, the last time we, we got together, uh, thought you'd like this. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
that's an amazing move. And, and what did that turn into? The guy ended up talking about him. Oh my gosh, look what they did for me. There was nothing expected in return. Uh, he just went out of his way. He paid attention to the thing that I like. And yeah, he sent me something that was really cool. Oh my gosh. The guy is a flaming advocate now. And then he handed off, handed him uh, Vaynerchuk's business to another friend of his who in turn placed a very large order that yeah. was very profitable. So you never know. And this right. kind of goes back to my whole, I don't know if I ever told you about my, my theory on hamburger versus steak clients. I don't think so. This is the same kind of thing. You know, um, a lot of people in the creative arts space, voiceover especially, are downing the new people who are coming on board and driving the rates down. Right. Um, and the commoditization of our industry and in voiceover is happening. You cannot do anything about it. Uh, we're starting to have to compete with AI, which is going to be fun. Right. But, you know, this is why I diversify, diversify my skill set and I've got other things I can make money off. But anyway, hamburger versus steak clients are the clients that are hamburger clients that have very limited small budgets. But, you know, they want to. They want something done. They like your voice. They want you to, you know, they can't pay what your normal rate is. And, you know, in your sales process, you should be able to back up why they should pay your rate. And it shouldn't be about you at all. And that's, a, that's generally the posture that most voiceover people and creatives do. Well, I am worth this. Right. Bull snarky. Right. I, I swear here. Well, then I, I am worth this. Okay. No, you're not worth anything until you prove it yeah. to that person. You are not worth anything. Okay. You are worth what they think you are worth in their mind until you explain to them why your rate is the way it is. It's not about them. It's a, or it's not about you and what you think you're, you're worth. It's about them and making them understand what goes into it. Okay. And even then, if they can't pay you what you think you're worth, how can you back down on the project um, involvement? You know, well, I'll still do this, but, you know, because you, you're forgetting about a multitude of other factors that go into that. That is them centric. Okay. I really like your project. I really love to do it. Is there some, some way we can at least get an extra $50 or something like that? Well, yeah, we can do that. Awesome. Terrific. Because yeah. with that, you're going to, they're going to learn what it's like to work with you, which is, I think, priceless if you do a good job. Right. They're going to, you know, uh, get your product. There's another way to get your voice out there, your product onto other things. Um, hopefully they become a flaming advocate. They're not going to want to stay. If they're working for somebody else, they're not going to probably, they, they all want to move up. Nobody wants to stay stagnant where they are. So imagine if you've achieved all those different things. I'm trying to get my hand in front of you here. The, the fourth component is the fact that they take you with them. And this is something I stress to car salespeople all the time establish some sort of independent Facebook page or something yeah. that can be mobile, right? In any given situation, if they take, if they're a flaming advocate of you and they take you with them to wherever they are next, that next place could be a stake client that pays what your rate or, or more. Yeah. And they're willing to champion you in that space and introduce you to that whole new group of people into that network. And the fifth one is dude, ask for the referral. It's easier to ask for the referral at that point. If you've done such a great job, there's nothing but upside mm. in thinking that way. Now that's a very them centric posture. There's nothing but value in it for your client when yeah. you approach it that way. You, you know, know and you don't. Can I talk to my podcast for God's sake? Sorry. 
I mean, geez. I agree with I went you. Off on a tear. This is why you have me on. No, I, I agree with you. Listen, and if you look at it from the auto standpoint, before you're going to hit you're your salesperson, before you're going to hit somebody with, you know, someone says, okay, well, what's the price of this car? Before you hit them with a, you know, $38,000 price tag on a 2019 Nissan Altima, you should have shown them already why that car is worth Thirty-eight. That what did I say originally? The number was thirty-eight thousand dollars. You need to make sure they know that. So if you hit them with the price tag, they're not like, "Whoa, why would I pay that much for this car?" Well, I've already shown you the value in this car. Here's how it looks. Here's what it does. Here's the safety features. Here's what makes it different from the other ones you may be looking at. And by the way, here's here's how much it costs. But you're also going. Remember, you're going by what you're assuming they are looking for in a car. At that point. <clears throat> you know, if they're if they're starting to get price heavy with me, I would actually inter you know get into interviewer mode and say, what is it about the car that you like? What really kind of turns you you know what is it that you're looking for in a car? What didn't you like about your last car? All those different questions to uncover and encourage you're you're fact finding, but you're also encouraging the conversation and making it about them. Yeah, I want to learn about you. I want to learn about you. I want to find out. What is it about this car you really like? Man, I really like the wheels. Man, okay, that's interesting because you realize that there's like two or three other different wheels. If you'd like, if you think these wheels are cool, what about these wheels? Yeah. And if you're knowledgeable about the product, and when I sold, you know, Mercedes, that's what I think was ultimately valuable for my clients is that I, I think I conveyed the passion and enthusiasm for the brand, you know, and I knew that when they were going to Lexus or BMW, that there was a good chance they weren't going to encounter somebody like me that was enthusiastic about their brand. They were going to encounter somebody that was just there for, because it was a job. You right. Know? I was, I counted on that and probably eight times out of 10, I was right. So everything is of value. Even the way you present something in a vehicle can be a massive value in the eyes of the customer, especially if you make it about them. If you're knowledgeable about the things that they're interested in, in that car, how can you go wrong? You yeah, know? I think if you ascertain that information through an interview or, or questions early on, you know, you, you know, if you can figure out, are, you know, are they dog owners? Do they have a big family? Do they drive the kids to soccer practice? Do, is safety their most, you know, do they live in an area with, do they feel like safety is their most important, you know, factor? Uh, you know, like you said, is it, is the weather is, is, you know, handling of the car, the all wheel drive, you know, you got to figure out sort of what, what they're thinking. And then you can kind of hammer home that part of it. If, if you come at it with the attitude, it's not about me, it's about them. You'll yeah. win so much more. Cause if you think about it, a lot of the responses that you get from dealerships when you're inquiring about a car is dealership, you know, centric. Yeah. Hey, this is more, you know, we saw that you were interested in these cars on, you know, and, and when I worked for the dealership that I worked for, we'd show, hey, we saw that you were interested in this. Here are two other options that you also might be interested in. That's assuming it was a little bit of a value punch. You know, we weren't right. exactly doing a lot of video at that point. But if you really want to go above and beyond, you know, I just want the, I just want the best price. Well, you know, our best price is based on, you know, market. Uh, market pricing and, and what the market will bear. Um, but let me ask you, I mean, you know, we could, we could certainly find the right price for you. We are very competitive. Let me ask you about, you know, what about the car really interests you? You know, then you're turning the question around, making it more about them. Hopefully they'll respond. And it's tough to do in an email, right. you know, 
because uh, the next step with an email is trying and getting them on the phone. Once you have them on the phone, trying and getting them in the showroom. Yeah. That's the process. Little mini, yeah. little mini sales, mini, mini closes. The mini commitments. Absolutely. Part I, of the sales process. And, you know, yeah, there's definitely a strategy in play, but it's a lot easier. I mean, I never, uh, when I was working, one of the guys I worked with at Mercedes had a great opening line um, when people came into the showroom. And I was like, holy crap, why didn't I think of that? What was so it? they would come in and be like, you know, hey, I welcome to Mercedes-Benz. Um, you know, what is it that you're looking for today? Oh, we're, we're, we're interested in the GLE. Okay, tell me, about all the re tell me about the research you've already done online. I was like, what a question. Yeah. Tell me about what you, what you, cause then all of a sudden they're going to be, well, I really like this. They're going to tell you everything you need to know, mm -hmm. you know, that you can address if you're good at your game. Now let's look at it from a, from a dealer perspective, from a little bit uh, higher view. So, okay. Automotive industry, generally we prefer, or sales managers prefer to have the customer in the showroom, right? They want you in the showroom. They want to negotiate in the showroom. They want you uh, on your terms, right? Probably best chance for bumping a payment, best chance for holding gross, all that, all that jazz. And they'll set up marketing and advertising or put processes in place to drive people into buying that way. But not everybody wants to buy that way, right? Some people want to get as much done over the phone. Some people want to get a lot done online. Some people want to do the whole thing over the phone or online. Um, and dealerships will push them into doing it their way. Like I used to, the group I used to work for, we had a store and the philosophy at the store was we don't give prices over the phone. They have to come in to get their price. And I would sit in the BDC and I would hear the BDC say to them, I'm sorry, we don't give prices over the phone. You have to come in. And they'd be like, well, I don't want to come in. I live an hour away, but you have the car I want. Can you give me the price? And they would go, no, you have to come in. Well, the dealer wants them to come in for the reasons I mentioned before, but the customer doesn't want to come in. So what do they do? A lot of the time they don't come in. You lost your shot with that person. So why not adjust your process to the way the customer wants to shop? Because that customer does two things. They either eventually agree to come in, but they're mad or they're, they have a bad taste in their mouths for the, from the beginning of the experience. So you're starting off at a negative or they don't come in and you lose you lose that deal. If they come in with a bad experience, it's an uphill climb the whole way. Uh, yeah. And sure, maybe you'll, whatever, bump them on price or do whatever happens in the finance office and make some money off that person. Uh, you know, or maybe you'll get a bad review off that person or maybe they never buy a car from you. What is the harm in providing them the information they want in the format they want and then being skilled enough to turn that person into a customer that eventually purchases? Like... I think it's a case of understanding, you know, getting in front of the people that believe the same way you do. Um, and if they're a price conscious buyer and you're selling a somewhat commoditized product, uh, you have to figure out how to pivot. I, and I think this may even come from a salesperson level, but surely a dealership and management level as well. Um, I don't think there's harm in doing it with strategy. So if you're just blurting out a price, those customers, and I could tell from, you know, my experience being on the sales floor, they're just, they're price shopping. They're, right. they're, they're, they're analytic. They're not, you know, maybe emotionally t attached. You have to do everything in your power to try and keep the conversation going. Now, 
just giving them numbers, yeah, they can take them and run. Um, right, and go to the next guy down the street and get his number. Right, right. right. And that's, you know, you ca- that's kind of just part of the deal. Um, there are ways to overcome that and get around it. Uh, I don't think there is harm in doing that if you do it with strategy, a certain kind of strategy in mind. Uh, to just, you know, shut it off, I, yeah, that's not, you're, you're starting the relationship off adversarially. There's nothing, you know, well, we're doing this because we got to protect ourselves. That's an us centric statement. You know, yeah. what kind of price are you looking for is a question I would respond to. You know, it's, I'm not going to tell, I'm not showing you mine first. I'm going to find out where you are. Okay. Um, and hey, what do you like about the car? Have you even seen it or driven it yet? What are we doing talking about price? Is typically how I would go about that kind of question, um, you know, and, and say, understandably, we've got five other dealerships in town to deal with. So naturally, we are going to be uh, competitive with our price and try and earn your business. But we want to do it in a way that's non-adversarial. We want to do it in a way that's that's helpful to you and you centric and make sure that we are answering your questions. So let me ask you this. What about the car interests you? Why do you why do you like the Nissan Altima? You know, what about it? Oh, I really like the way it looks. Yeah, it looks great, doesn't it? Man, you should see what the, some of the things they're going to be doing for, you know, uh, the couple of years down the road. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's th- that, that kind of an attitude, that kind of a posture. There are ways around it. So to answer your question, I don't think there's any harm if you do it strategically. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, have a plan. you can't just roll over and, you know, give them the number. But, right. you know, you can push to get it done the way you want to get it done. But when push comes to shove... You know, you got to, you got to be able to do it the way the customer wants to do it is what I believe. If a dealership understands the nature of the currency of relationships and how relationships will build their business, um, if you're dealing with a transactional customer, yeah, that's kind of tough. But if they're a transactional dealership, it's going to be adversarial all the way around. And that dealership will, honestly, I'll just say it right here. They're either going to lose overall down, down the road. And ultimately just, uh, you know, be the the low price leader kind of thing. Uh, or they're going to base, and there, there are businesses and dealerships out there. Look, we've got two in town, and I've talked about them before. we got two Mercedes-Benz dealerships, one of which I work with quite heavily. They hold their gross against the other dealership. The other dealership pulls their pants down every single time. Yeah. Why? Why? How, the, how can they coexist? It's value. You know, the people at the other dealership at, that where they hold gross are being treated like professionals. They're being paid like they're professional, okay? Uh, they're being trained like they're professional. The culture is there to make them feel valued. The CEO, his first investment is his people. He makes it well-known. Yeah. He makes it well-known. So they're willing to take a bullet for the guy. They're willing to go out of their way and make themselves better people because he, they feel like he believes in them. So when you, cre- again, I think every, a lot of this comes back to culture. Um, when you have a dealership culture that is backstabbing, uh, looking for ways to um, subvert the, the frontline people, your, your service advisors, your salespeople, uh, parts counter people, those kinds of things. Yeah, you're, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow and you're going to be, you're going to struggle more than you have to time and time again. That's just, I think that's just the, the way of the world because be them centric also has to be a mindset from management down, from ownership down, from the C-level executives down. It's not about them. It's about the people who work for us. 
It'd be cool if it was about them. It'd be cool if it was about us, but it's not. I think in certain places it is, you know, and, and over time in this, you know, online world we're in, it's, it has to go that way. Yeah. It doesn't make sense otherwise. My note here says, take a break. So I got to read a break. I got to read a commercial. Really? No. For Jim McCarthy voiceovers. No, not really. I don't have, I'm just kidding. I don't have any sponsors. Um, <laughs> all right. So hashtag be them centric. First of all, yes. is it taking off? Is it trending on Twitter yet? Oh, totally. I've got like millions, millions of impressions. Because I think it's a great philosophy. How do we make it trend? How do we trend it? Just keep talking about it and put it out there. I've already got a t-shirt. I should try. I should probably tell the, sell the t-shirt. I don't know if I can actually own it or coin it. I'm sure I can. Well, let's give away a hashtag be them centric t-shirt to caller number five right now. <laughs> it's the most automotive marketing podcast. 68 <laughs> degrees here in New Milford. We're going to send you a be them centric t-shirt and an autographed tissue from Jim McCarthy. Thanks for listening. <laughs> What's in the tissue? Don't worry about it. <laughs> how can did he, he blow his nose or did he do other things with it? <laughs> Excuse me. How can you how how can you how can be them centric apply to somebody in their life as opposed to just business? Um I, I think when we put ourselves last. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just works out a lot better. I mean, people are generally <laughs> selfish. In yeah. Oh no, this is I know. I totally agree. Yeah. A hundred percent. You're, you're going to, if you're, when I used to, to work in radio, way. I was like, man, I am the man. What was that movie? Uh, Anchorman. It's you right. probably know who I am. You probably know who my dad is. You know, well, I mean, so, that, yeah. But even with celebrities, you you make a point. I remember meeting, um, I came into work one morning. It was back when I was working in Vegas. And uh, we always had, you know, a multitude of guests because we had five radio stations, six radio stations in the building. And you'd have some people that were, you know, famous and semi-famous walking the hallways. And yeah. there was this one guy that was going to be on one of my, my uh, radio stations. And he looked familiar uh, at first. And I kind of just did my thing, put my coat down, went and got my coffee. And he was following me down the hall to the kitchen. And he says, hey, can I, is this where I can get some coffee? I'm like, oh yeah, man, come on in. Introduce him. Like, uh, he's like, I am, uh, he's like, you work at the radio station. I said, yeah, I'm in the, you know, production. I work for the two AMs. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be a guest on uh, one of the radio stations. I'm like, oh, cool. What do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a singer. Nice. Where do you sing? He's like, I'm, I'm doing a stay at one of the casinos and, um, uh, and, you know, he looked really familiar. And I said, well, I'm Jim. He goes, oh, I am Frank. And it was Frank Stallone. Yeah. Slides better. And I'm going, holy crap, dude. Man, that's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. And I had no idea. He wasn't pretentious. He wasn't presumptuous. He was acting just a night, just being nice. You know, just, just, he was very me-centric, kind of very interested in what I Same thing yeah. happened with Alan Thicke. He came in and cut a couple of commercials with us and he remembered my name. He was ultimate, you know, above and beyond professional. The people that he was with were not, they were kind of wannabes, but mm -hmm. you know, he's been around the block and he was, I remember him because of that. Let's take a call. Hold we on. got a call? Yeah, coming at you. Line, go to line four. Uh, who's, <laughs> who's, who's this? <laughs> Hello? Anybody there? Hold on. Oh, Bluetooth. Wrong button. Hold on. Wrong button. There we go. Thank you. It's my first time on the controls. Uh, who's, who's, oh, is this Colin? Hey guys, it's Colin Carasquillo with the Nielsen Automotive Group. How's it going? Hey, what's up, Colin? How you doing? 
So I've been listening in. I'm calling caller number one for that hashtag <laughs> Be Them Centric T-shirt. First of all, <laughs> hold on. Joe's going to take your address and we'll send it to you in the mail. <laughs> Now, but all jokes aside, listen, I love what you guys are talking about, and I love the whole Be Them-centric idea. Uh, you know, what I wanted to address, uh, going back to your pricing conversation, because I thought that that's super important, especially now in this day and age, that mm-hmm. when you're comparing apples to apples, right, each OEM essentially is offering the same product. I mean, there could be two Jeep dealerships that are miles apart from each other that have the same thing. So when you're comparing apples to apples and it does come down to pricing, fine. Let's say we disregard pricing. It's how do you make apple pie when you guys need to present a different uh, value proposition or things like that to the customer. So for me, I just wanted to chime in because I I see that there are people watching on Facebook Live. That's where I'm tuning in from. Uh, And I'm sure there are other people out on these different avenues. But how does your dealership set itself apart from the competition? What sort of value proposition can you offer in this day and age, you know, especially with COVID? What safety measures are you taking? Are you offering, you know, at-home delivery? Uh, what things do you offer that when you have a customer on the phone will make them consider your dealership over a competitor uh, in the absence of price, right? And I think that's ultimately what this comes down to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting too. I, you know, I I've, I see Colin on on LinkedIn, and uh, so I think we probably follow a lot of the same people. But there's there's a dealer there's two dealership groups actually in Connecticut uh, near me that I think are doing fantastic jobs of providing their customers with the service they want. Obviously, C- Connecticut in terms of uh, in terms of the virus for a while it was kind of kind of um, I mean, Colin, you're in the Northeast too, I believe you know, it was, it was a hard hitting area and delivery was the only way to get it done early on. Uh, now Connecticut has been doing very well and people are starting to hit showrooms and whatnot again, but you know, not everyone is going to want to purchase in the delivery way or the curbside pickup way or, uh, or handle it that way. But it needs to be available because that's the way some people are going to be most comfortable doing it. And I'm seeing a lot of dealerships online uh, talking about, Hey, you know, here's our number three home delivery of the month. And you know, we, you know, we were able to bring so-and-so her Jeep Wrangler, uh, uh, Wrangler. Did I say that right? Wrangler, Wrangler, (laughs) uh, Wrangler. And you know, she was looking for, you know, A, B and C. We got it to her. We brought it to her house. You know, she never even came to the dealership or, you know, we took care of so-and-so online. They came in, got their car. They were only here for 20 minutes. And they're, they're promoting the fact that they're doing that on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and the Twitter. And it shows other people that we're about our customers, not just about us. And I think that's been a, that's been a positive that's come out of this is that hopefully that will continue going forward in the automotive industry. I mm-hmm. could not agree more. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the, basically the goal about, you know, hashtag be them centric. So let's get it trending. I appreciate you guys taking my call. I'm going to let you get back to your good conversation there, but I did just want to chime in because, you know, it's not all, I, I truly believe that it's not all about price. Sure. A lot of people can argue, yes, price, 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 price. But I think the idea, especially as consumer shopping behavior changes and we still are in this time of uncertainty, that there are ways that dealers can, you know, hold growth. There are ways that dealers can compete in the same market. And it's about the customer experience. Hashtag be them centric. And, uh, you know, that's that. So I appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks, Colin. We appreciate the call. Right. Thanks, Colin. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye-bye. Colin, last name, hard to pronounce. Marketing guy at uh, 
Nielsen Automotive Group checking in. He's going to co-host an episode with me on Friday, actually. Colin on a cell phone. Colin on the cell phone. Colin from New Jersey checking in. Colin on a car phone. Thanks for calling other radio cliches. You know, and and I I remember there was this one time when people would question, even when we were, you know, in the heat of the moment of our transaction, um, they would ask about dock fees and stuff like that. And as salespeople, you're always, you know, trying to have to defend the dock fee. Right. uh, Extra points are are in reserve for finance. And when you just admit to them, you're like, well, it's a profit center. And at that point, it takes the wind out of their sales and they, they go, oh. And it's like, you know, our doc fee at the time was, I don't know, uh, $4.99 or whatever. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, it kind of guarantees that we're able to pay the people that do the paperwork uh, and keep our, our operations and overhead paid for. Because believe it or not, sometimes our, our new cars and cars do lose money. Believe it or not, they do. Um, so the other areas that we have opportunities to uh, make profit and we're a for-profit business, it's not a secret, would be just to to do this. So it, it, that's explaining in a them centric way. So yeah. they understand, and you're admitting it's profit. I so they oh it's just profit. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I agree. We got to make money. We're not here for we're not we're not we're here to they were here to run a business. Right, and uh, you know, I think that transparency is is ultimately a very appreciated uh, component to the modern car deal. You know, I just recently traded in my truck. And uh, at two other dealerships, I got pretty low balled on trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the final dealership where I ended up doing the transaction. They were still a little low on trade based on the research that I had done. Right. Um, but it was also kind of a test to see what to see what um, they wanted to, how they were going to go ahead and price my truck once it had gone into their processing and stuff like that. So <laughs> they went ahead and put it up and... It was massively under market value. Well, we sold it in three or four days. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Of course. You way underpriced it. But, uh, I mean, it kind of made, gave me an appreciation that not only were they, you know, integrous when it came to pricing, but, yeah, you know, they made it after all the recon and stuff like that and the things that they put into it. Made, they probably made fifteen hundred, two grand on the truck, which I'm fine with. That's what people need to be okay with. You know, you know, go back to what Colin said about, you know, we always just say at my Nissan group, like we all have the same cars at relatively the same price. Right. And Colin had mentioned, uh, you know, what, you know, making, uh, you know, what, what, what turns the apples into applesauce. And I remember when I purchased a Jeep, this is going back, you know, eight years. And I looked at, um, oh no, sorry. I was going to service a Jeep. I was trying to find a place to service my Jeep. And, uh, because, you know, I had it for like, you know, two months and the four wheel drive stopped working and you know, whatever Chrysler thing happened to it. And I love that car, but you know, I had problems right off the bat. And so are you paying attention or are you texting and not even paying attention to what I'm saying? I'm telling a story here. Will you pay attention, please? I'm being them centric and getting back to a customer of mine. Yeah, but you're not being them centric to me. You're, (laughs) you're, you're using this time, which is my time to do your things. Right. Come on, man. Practice what you preach. And I was just, I was just looking down at my hands. Can I finish my story? So I was trying to find a place to service my Jeep. Right. And there's a dealership that's like, you know, five minutes from where I lived at the time. And, but it's not the place I bought it, but it's a closer dealership. And then there's another dealership that is the place I bought it, which is like 20 minutes away. So I'm like, let me try and go to the place that I, I, um, is closer to me. So I, I call them and they don't have the part that is needed and they don't have a rental car fleet. So I'm like, well, I got to drop it off. It's like a 10 hour job or whatever it is. 
or it's six hours, but they wanted to charge me for 10 hours of labor time. So I, they're like, well, we don't have a car to give you. So I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? So I called the other place and they had the part in stock and they would give me a loaner. So I went to the place that was farther away. And the reason is, is they made my life easier. Cause yeah. I'm not going to, cause like, if I go to the place that doesn't have rentals, okay, well I either got to sit there all day and hope the Wi-Fi is okay. Or I got to find somebody that can pick me up and take me to work and then pick me up and bring me back. And, but the place where I could just go drop it off and climb in a loaner car and then go back at the end of the day and my car's done is the place that ultimately won my business, even though it was farther away for, from me than the other place. I'd ask you to comment on my story, but you're texting again. So I need you to be um, me centric. No. You know, the thing about, about being them centric is listening. Yeah. But you're not, very well. yeah. What were you saying? Yeah. No. You have two, um, you have two here, ears and only one mouth. Let me ask you this. Yeah. What did, what was the attitude of the person that didn't have the uh, loaner car? Um, Flippant. What was the attitude of the person that didn't have the loaner car? They were just kind of like matter of fact about it. Like, no, nope, we don't have loaners. Okay. So when I sold Mercedes, we had a similar problem. We had not enough loaner fleet and um, I would tell my customers, well, when you're making uh, an appointment for service, just make sure you do it. If you want a loaner, try and get a couple of weeks ahead of it. And every, right. every customer, oh my, a couple of weeks. Right. I mean, I got to do extra work and inconveniencing my life and keep in mind that I got to make a couple, you know, I said, where are they going to do it for you? And I said, that's a culture thing. You know, that's the management, that's the dealership not wanting to invest in the people, in the uh, resources to make sure their service experience is of top-notch caliber. Um, so therefore, you're as an employee, yeah, I've heard this many, many times. I've answered this question over and over and over again. Sorry if this comes off flippant, but that's just the way it is. Right. You know what I mean? So that's why I asked about attitude. You're not, your unwillingness as a dealership or as a management team to not be them-centric to your customers will translate and transfer to your employees. If you're not going to care, neither should they. Okay. Yeah. And when you have something at your dealership, that's different, that you can hang your hat on that. Yes, we can accommodate you, Mr. Customer in your time of need. Aren't we your hero? Isn't that great? That kind of confidence is going to come across in the conversation happens every time. Okay. And that's what a lot of dealership groups don't get. They just, well, I don't really, we don't really need all that good reviews and we'll just kind of push them down and we'll counter all the bad reviews with, Hey, it's not our problem. It's yours. And, you know, call our general manager. Here's his number. Come on. Yeah. You know, they're pissed off for a reason. I'm going to read a commercial. So we are going to take a break. Oh my gosh. Is there any more advice that we can give to people? Cause listen, I, you're right. You mentioned earlier, the voiceover industry, getting voiceover work, getting, customers prospecting, like I work for an agency, prospecting new customers, whether I'm prospecting dealers or agencies, a, a salesperson or a BDC person prospecting customers from the service department or people whose leases are going to be up soon. That's all, it's all the same thing, it's different products, but the process or the, the, the thinkology, I don't think that's a word strategy. Methodology. Oh, strategy. Yeah. That makes more sense. Uh, the methodology that goes into it is all the same thing. Now you yep. having done that from multiple angles from Mercedes, uh, your car, uh, sales time and as a voiceover person and probably to an extent too, with your lighting company, what's some advice that sort of on the be them centric wavelength 
you could give to those people. There's probably people listening right now who prospect for a living. Part of their job is, is prospecting. What's some advice uh, that you can give them? I think uh, in any given situation, especially in the car business, what I would recommend is um, if you feel like there's a good chance that the person is emotionally attached to the product, the car that they're looking at, go out and take a video of it. You know, and I, I know a lot of people do that. Some people don't. Um, and just do a quick walk around 20, 30, 30 seconds, address them by name, um, and maybe even do some research on the person if you can. So maybe find them on Facebook or Twitter, stalk them, if you will, yeah. and find out some of the things that, you know, you may have in common. Um, because it's amazing once you find out about a person and they talk about this in the, the networking group that I'm a part of, um, <clears throat> it's... It's 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 really interesting what happens when you discover something in common with somebody else and how it opens up other paths of dialogue. Um, the other thing that we talk about again in that group is uh, we we have some people who uh, I'm not sure if you're not familiar with BNI. It's a networking group where every week people get together, they meet, they stand up, they give a 30 second commercial of sorts, and it's amazing how people will just you know give it a month or two and then leave the group. Well, I wasn't getting any referrals. Right. Well, what were you asking for? You know, B and I, they, they talk about being specific. Specific is terrific. Um, asking and making it easier for the rest of the group. Because it's not about, you know, well, I, I paid to be in this group. It's your job to interpret what I'm saying and go and get me referrals. No, that's not the right. way it works. It's a group of other professionals who have busy lives and it is your job to make it easier for them to find you referrals. Okay. Make it easy for me. That's where the them centric, be them centric comes into play with that. So if you can make it easy for somebody, you know, <clears throat> find ways to make yourself stand out. That's of value to them. Um, going out and doing a spec spot for a voiceover client is akin to doing a walk around video for 20 or 30 seconds. Really? How long will it take you? Yeah. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm right here. Here's the car you inquired about. And let's take a quick walk around. It's a beautiful thing. Not sure if you knew about this. You had mentioned in your, you know, uh, email, you know, maybe, um, they put up a post about car shopping and they had one hotspot that they were really concentrating on. You could address that in a video and make yeah. yourself stand out all the more. Yeah, like if I'm prospecting, I'll try and research the companies, the dealership or agency's website a little bit, maybe take a look at their LinkedIn page. I mean, you don't want to take it too far. I drove by your house and I saw you had a Kansas City Chiefs flag outside. I mean, you know, you don't want to take it to the creepy level, like on Modern Family, the Modern Family episode where they where that happened. Uh, I love that show. But anyway, um, it doesn't hurt to do to do a little research or at least try and find some kind of connection. Whether it's with, you know, the part of, like with me, if, you know, all over the country, part of the country they're in, the name of the agency, uh, you know, sometimes on agency websites, they'll write little, you know, clever, snarky bio bios about employees. All, there's always information in there that you can, that you can connect with. Oh, I see that you're a, you know, New York Mets fan. Oh, me too, man. Those, the, the year, those 90s were tough when, you know. We sucked for so long. Hey, what did you think about last night's game when he did this, you know? Yeah. And you don't want to come across as pandering either. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's the fine line. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, you know, I saw that, you know, I'm looking, as I was sitting across the street in my car, I saw that your wife's got a bra with uh, the Browns logo <laughs> on it. I mean, what's that all about? Yeah. So you had dinner last night at the cookhouse, did you? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, can't, you, know, you don't want to like go, you know, crazy, but. 
Hi. Everyone wants a connection. I know you there is really. I think yeah. I think about you in my dreams. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> it makes my nether regions swollen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, within reason, people, within reason. I did one the other day where the guy that I was I was pitching. I got a pitch with two guys, and they're both there was both of their names were Matt. So I go, we're all we're all named Matt. And then as I said it, I was like, well, that's so stupid. Why don't I even say that? Like, you know, it's the Matt Cubed show. Yeah, right. Hey, Matt Cubed here on the pitch. But then, like, you Matt know, to the third power. <laughs> yeah, but especially if it's I use I'll use geography. I'll use geography a lot. Like if I'm talking to a prospect in Nashville. Oh, my wife used to live in Nashville. I have a good friend who lives in Nashville. What a great city so easy to navigate compared to New York. And then all of a sudden they're talking about Nashville. Oh, cool. Did you ever go to a predators game? Oh yeah. I went to a predators game. I saw big and rich there in 2005. It was hundred degrees. It was horrible. You know I mean? You could connect here's with them. Another, here, here's another thing that dealerships make a mistake around, right? Yeah. Not letting their salespeople drive the cars on a regular basis. So when I, when I worked in the business, it was frowned upon to take a car home. Big yeah. mistake big mistake. Okay. Because that's how you're going to get familiar with the car and connect the little nuances and technologies of the car with the lifestyle of, of the customer. For example, the first time I really understood the power of rapport was when I had, well, I was working for Honda and I had a couple that was coming to look at a minivan. Okay. Now who, who is more familiar with minivans and families than, than me and, you know, a lot of other people. Right. You know, <clears throat> so Instantly, they weren't familiar with, you know, the way the seats went down in the back. I said, this is a great thing. This is exactly how we use ours. We could put one seat down. You got all this room for suitcases. You got another seat over here for a child or they can have extra room and lay down. You've got this big, you know, kind of um, storage space when the seats are up with a lot, you know, storage for groceries or whatever. Things aren't going to roll around. Instant you know, rapport because I got where they were coming from. Yeah. You know, having small children. So yeah, anytime. And, that, and that's the other thing is that a lot of the people that work as salespeople in the business, I'm not, you know, they were the really young or too young to have families yet. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, they're in the, they're in the business. So their family suffers. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but having that, that connection, I never understood that. Why won't you let me take a car home? You I know, used to do that. I used to do that with, if I was talking to customer, you know, sometimes I would chat with customers in the showroom and I would, you know, if I bumped into a customer, I would start up a conversation and, you know, my wife had a, a, um, a rogue and he's on rogue. And I would, so I would find out, you know, what the customer was doing. And I would be like, oh yeah, we used to have, you know, a pathfinder. And then we went down to a rogue and it's way better because it's got the divide and hide cargo system in the back. And I know it sounds kind of like, not an important thing, but when you go grocery shopping, all your stuff doesn't fly all over the back seat, you know, the back of the car. And while that seems like a small thing, it's not a small thing because now if we're going grocery shopping, we take the Rogue instead of my Murano because it's got the divide and hide cargo system and our groceries don't go all over the car. And, yeah. you know, if you're able to connect that with somebody, I don't remember how I started the story or why I got on it, but that's the end it, of that story. You're, you're, it's a, it's a them centric. Yes. It's them about them. Tactic. Uh, that's, that's known as FBI. What's that Feature mean? benefit impact. So feature here's the feature. Impact. Here's the benefit of the feature. Here's how it's going to impact your life. You know, um, for example, like what you're talking about, Mercedes Benz has got something called a brake hold. They were a leader in the category of, you know, a lot of cars have it now where you got to push a button down and it holds your brake. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And Mercedes has got it right on the brake pedal. You simply come to a stop and then you just go on the brake pedal and it holds your brake. You can take your foot off the brake. That's cool. And I'm like, you know, if you're driving a car and you use those little features, because I can't tell you how many people that I would come across after my life in the business, after selling Mercedes, and I would say, what do you think of the brake hold feature? They had no idea it even existed. Yeah. I'm like, that's unfortunate because I think that's a great feature. Imagine that you're in a drive-thru, right? You're, you're making your order, you're at a stoplight. You simply put, you know, you put your foot on the brake and push it down. A little hold indicator comes on your, your dash and you just you hang out, you know, don't have to worry about keeping your foot. It, that little bit of effort right there is actually kind of monumental over time. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, that would be great. And then, you know, I would run into the same person. I use it all the time. Yeah. You know, they were just unaware because the salesperson didn't have the wherewithal to, to introduce it to them or whoever delivered the car. Um, just amazing stuff to make that there's little simple overlooks that, mm-hmm. that can be amazing differences in people's, people's lives. There's a, uh, fe- you know, there's a feature on the uh, Nissan Rogue where if you like do a weird combination, it's like an old video game where you do like up, up, down, down, left, right, A, B, A, B, and then you like crack some code in the video game. There's something right. you could do on the windshield wiper thing on a Nissan Rogue where it would stop the windshield wipers halfway up and then you could just easily fold them out manually when you get out of your car, which is something that happens a lot in the Northeast here when we try not to get our windshield wipers frozen. I never knew I was the marketing director for a Nissan store for six years. I never knew that was a thing until a salesperson told me about that. And I was like, oh, my God, I could apply that to my life tonight. You know, things like that that you don't get unless you drive the car, try them out. You could never. And that's something where a customer would be like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. But if you don't know it, then you can't convey it. You know, the other thing is uh, maybe a them-centric marketing, and then we're, we're kind of exploring this with the, the Mercedes dealership, dealerships I work with, is including the customer on video marketing material. Um, not just, hey, we bought a car. <clears throat> After about a month or two, follow up with them and say. Uh, Jim froze. How about that? Let's put him in the holding room and bring him back. And he's gone. Well, look at that. Technology did pretty well for us for an hour and three minutes. I was getting ready to wrap up anyway, but what I was going to say to Jim was, uh, oh, he lost his power, he said, and he texted me. Jeez. What I was going to say is he's had me on, I've had him on my podcast three times, and he has only had me on his podcast once. I don't think that's fair. But anyway, his power went out. Uh, Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I think we should all use hashtag be them centric. I like it. It's not about you. It's about your customer or your prospect. It ain't about you, man. Hashtag be them centric. Thank you to Jim McCarthy for joining me, CEO of Jim McCarthy voiceovers. Thanks to anybody who watched us live on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, daily motion, Twitch, whatever that is. I don't even know what that is. It's a thing. And we're on there. So thanks everybody who watched live and thanks for listening. If you listened, uh, to, if you're listening on the podcast version, greatly appreciate it. Mostly automotive marketing with Matt Wilson is a bi-weekly ish podcast, mostly about automotive marketing. It's right there in the name. Easy to figure out. More episodes coming up soon. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson is brought to you by... Wait, this guy has sponsors? Oh, never mind. This sheet of paper's blank. No sponsors.
that makes more sense. For updates, info, future episodes, and more, follow on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, like on Facebook, and connect on Frackle. You guys made that last one up. That's not even a thing, Frackle. Come on.